Welcome to the latest podcast from the Recruitment and Employment Confederation. We're bringing you the latest updates and insights from the world of recruitment to help you navigate these challenging times. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the REC podcast with special added flavour from the RCSA. Delighted to be joined on the line this morning from Australia by Charles Cameron, the Chief Executive of the RCSA in Australia. Charles, how are you, mate? I'm very well, Neil. Good day to you and uh, all your members. Uh, great to be speaking to you and to uh, yeah, share and compare. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the industries in the UK, Australia and New Zealand have a lot in common. Um, lots of people have worked both over with you and, and here with us. Um, lots of companies have worked in, in both spaces as well. I suppose a good place to start is how's it feeling down there? I mean, what's the, uh, we, we've seen that there's been a, a bit of a second wave in Victoria, but uh, largely across the country, you got the virus under control pretty swiftly. What's the latest and, and how's that feeding through to what uh, staffing firms are seeing? Yeah, it's an interesting question, uh, Neil. Um, if we're talking waves, uh, and you're on a beach uh, somewhere in Australia, you wouldn't even be picking up the board compared to uh, that being a surfboard compared to what's happened in the UK. Uh, you guys have got the Bells Beach uh, sets rolling in and uh, we've got a bit of a trickle, but um, it's all relative, isn't it? Uh, we uh, we kicked off uh, COVID, uh, so to speak, uh, with very few numbers. We, we had less than 100 uh, uh, deaths, uh, which, of course, uh, is still significant in its own right, but compared to the world experience was very, very low. And uh, we got down to uh, zero cases per day very quickly due to some of the uh, mismanagement uh, by the Victorian government and their engagement of contractors. Um, we've seen uh, that so-called, I won't even call it a second wave, it's probably the first real wave that we're experiencing at the moment. But, I mean, interestingly, on that point, uh, the way in which the government mismanaged the engagement of security contractors to uh, manage uh, individuals uh, coming back from overseas in isolation and uh, how that uh, resulted in the escaping of COVID again, has shone a light on procurement and all things uh, relating back to contracting. So uh, we're never far away, are we, Neil? No, that's true. I think always making the case that perhaps lowest cost procurement rather than best value procurement is a, a short term win and a long term loss for government. We published something in the, here in the UK this week in the uh, Health Service Journal, uh, just making that point about how the contribution staffing firms have made to fighting COVID here in the UK and the fact that um, some of the, the structures that government's put in place to manage that have actually mitigated against the industry doing more at, be at better value. But uh, yeah, as you say, you know, the, the experience over here is is very different. I know, of course, RCSA represents New Zealand as well, where, you know, which is even more so the case of having got the the thing under control over here. I mean, we're kind of coming. We're 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 about back where you are now, but we're viewing it as the bottom of the slope rather than a, a, a slight uh, tick up. If I can use a, a switch from a, a surfing to a skiing metaphor, um, <laughs> we, we we had a really tough April and May really high levels of cases in lockdown really tight and you know staffing firms predictably you know you know how it rolls with uh, with our sector we're first into recessions and first out roughly speaking we think economic growth in the uk probably a quarter of the economy shut down and we're we're coming back from that now and depends on it depends on who you you know what's your economist of choice how quickly we're coming back 
Andy Haldane from the Bank of England reckons the economy is coming back at about a percentage point a week. And for as long as um, we don't see an uptick in cases again, uh, I think we'll, we'll see a reasonably robust recovery over the our northern summer. We're, we're seeing a sort of gentle uh, increase in uh, activity now. Probably if you look at Andy Haldane on the Bank of England's view, the economy's coming back at about a percentage point a week. Um, and that feels quite robust so long as we can keep the virus under control as we open up. So far, it's been OK. Uh, we're definitely seeing that feed through to the to the staffing sector now as well, especially if we can get the hardest hit sectors, hospitality, uh, retail operating a bit more freely. Uh, that seems to be happening. Um, I, you know, the the fact that people more people will probably stay in the UK for their for their holidays in this northern summer will will help a bit. Um, there's so much that you can't quite tell about the future now that I think um, from from a UK perspective means that you, we shouldn't rush to judgment. But certainly things feel a bit better here, both economically and with the virus over the last month or so. What's the uh, what will be interesting for me, uh, Charles, is just getting a sense of you mentioned what was you you did have a lockdown period um and and clearly the the cases in melbourne and victoria now but across australia and new zealand even with the kind of relatively low level of impact the virus had so far what's the economic effect been like what's the trend in the industry be been like in terms of hiring demand from clients and so forth yeah, interesting. Um, look, certainly New Zealand went uh, out really hard and locked down to stage four, uh, and uh, many were critical, uh, I think, of the uh, Ardern government there. But, but they're sitting there, uh, uh, what do they say? Uh, he or she uh, who laughs loudest. And I think this is an example of that. You know, making some of those critical decisions early has left them in good stead. Um, that being said, though, Neil, um, it, it's one thing, of course, uh, to have no cases of COVID-19. And um, only had a board meeting this morning where some of our uh, directors from New Zealand were dialing in and they were all sitting in the same room, which we're all very envy of, envious of at the moment. But it, I, I think they're still very concerned about the, uh, I, I guess, the winds of uh, economic growth uh, and whether they will blow in New Zealand. I, I, I think they're still very concerned because they are so dependent upon uh, global economic, uh, I guess, conditions that uh, it's one thing to deal with the virus. It's another thing to deal with uh, the, uh, the global economic conditions. Similarly here in Australia, um, yes, uh, we have probably seen just a, a slow decline in confidence over a longer period of time. And even though we have probably handled COVID-19 comparatively well, um, we are now, even though uh, the COVID-19 cases are predominantly within Victoria, and it's almost like we are a, a pariah state now, we can see the impact upon the confidence across the entire country. So one of the things I think we're all grappling with is the uh, really the, the segregation of the COVID-19 management and the economic management. And I get the sense that we're all really understanding how globally connected uh, we continue to be. Um, in terms of our industry and how we've been impacted, I'd, I'd be interested to compare um, uh, with uh, uh, the REC, but uh, primarily um, our blue collar uh, resources sector industries um, have uh, held up pretty well, um, probably because they 
they've been able to pivot into surge and essential service uh, industries. Um, we've seen professional do okay, um, IT uh, do uh, pretty well, health uh, has probably uh, been pretty good, but maybe hasn't jumped up as much as it might have. The, the hardest hit of all of them, which still intrigues me, has been uh, your white-collar commercial uh, sort of temp and, um, of course, perm placement um, decimated in uh, so many ways. I, I'm always intrigued given the fact that, of course, uh, we would argue that those who are uh, least at risk are probably those who uh, are working in white-collar commercial environments, but um, they've been hit hardest and we're not really seeing any sign of that coming back on any time soon. Have you noticed that also in the UK? Yeah, there's a really interesting sort of uh, sectoral and contractual split here. Um, if I was a rule of thumb, I think on average temp demand in the UK probably went down by about 40% in April and perm went down by 80%. So, I mean, perm, as you say, decimated and actually has that popped back more than I would have expected um, you know, I'd expected it to stay on the on the floor of the valley while we were still dealing with the with the virus, and then come back once things look a bit more predictable. You know, that kind of classic recession profile of temp comes back strongly well before perm does. We're actually seeing um, some perm demand starting to come back now. Um, I think in part driven by um, the fact that we had pretty high employment rates before we went into all of this and so uh, some firms are actually still carrying relatively little uh, labour supply as their market comes back and in some high skill demand areas like IT you might want to try and get those people perm if you can right now we certainly see a big uptick in demand for all of the roles that you would associate with uh, the change in the economy we're seeing you know web developers came out top on our uh, look at the jobs boards recently. On the temp side, yeah, look, if you were involved in the essential supply chain in blue collar, you know, driving for the food chain, supermarkets, logistics for the food chain, and bits of healthcare, and I think importantly only bits of healthcare because basically ICU's massively expanded, but uh, pretty much all elective was cut out. So even in the RSC's healthcare sector, the experience has been quite lumpy. I think overall, we've started to see things come back more recently. I think IT's bounced right back, um, unsurprisingly, because of uh, where where the economy is and where it's shifting to. Uh, blue collar's coming back nicely. Uh, automotive is slower, uh, as any sector that ultimately ends up with a consumer is at the moment. But I do think that the yeah, the big question in the UK is how far do we snap back automatically with the easing of lockdown and how much how much farther do we then have to go once that's played out? Um, I think one of the one of the successes of how the UK's handled uh, this period is the furlough scheme. So they've done a, the, the government's gone long on employment protection during the period of lockdown. And the real litmus test of where uh, the UK economy is and the labour market is and therefore demand for staffing firm services is will be over the next few months where we see how many of those jobs that basically government paid for during the, the lockdown uh, are now are sustainable once the lockdown's over and by September we ought to have a much clearer idea of whether we're facing a long haul or a, or a short jump. 
Yeah, I mean, it was interesting. I you know, just before uh, jumping on uh, to uh, this podcast, I was listening to our radio national ABC national broadcaster, and one of our members was being interviewed. And uh, we uh, have just had our government state that uh, job keeper, as it's called, which is the wage subsidy that is paid uh, and really is creating what we now call a, a number of zombie jobs, jobs that just wouldn't exist if it weren't for the subsidies being paid by the government. The fact is that they, uh, those subsidies will very much start tapering off from September. And what he was arguing is this uh, you know, now makes it easier for him to plan. And it's almost like uh, having to let, uh, unfortunately, some near and dearest off life support. Um, and it's only the machine, in this case, only the wage subsidy that is keeping the jobs going. Um, I, I will say, they, say though, Neil, um, I, I do get the sense that there is a lot of our industry waiting uh, for uh, the confidence to return. They're, they're very quick to respond. Um, as you know, and it's part of the reason I love working and uh, representing this industry, is they're always very positive and always looking for the next opportunity. Um, we will have to reform, though, and I think in many ways uh, one of the interesting spin-offs of all this will be uh, the increased take-up. It was already there, wasn't it, uh, when it comes to AI and when it comes to automation and technology. Um, I think we're going to see um, a, a very much a transformed uh, recruitment and staffing firm come out of COVID-19, and the longer we stay in it, the, uh, the more reformed it will become. So look, from our point of view, um, we are being forced to reform. We, in fact, ran a conference, an online conference uh, last month called Reform. Uh, and I think there's a real appetite of many organisations to come out of this uh, doing things very differently. It's almost like uh, they've been, uh, as we call it, on the on the crack uh, where you've enjoyed, uh, you know, and you've always had this steady supply and you haven't actually had to change. But I think COVID-19 is going to reform the way in which we do business. I, I'm interested to get your thoughts on uh, whether you think it will reform in the UK in a great way. Yeah, I, look, I agree with that. And in some ways, this is a crisis and it's had significant impacts on families across the UK and around the world. And that's very, very sad. But I think from a purely economic point of view for us in the sector, these moments of maximum change are a chance to refound what we do and you know, if you look at someone uh, you know what someone like greg savage would say around moving away from contingency getting to more towards exclusivity in the sector a more consultancy relationship you know these are the cues that i'm picking up from the client side in in the uk now uh, if you pick up uh, the phone to hiring manager to try and do a transactional deal on getting someone into a company. Now, you're probably not going to get very far. If you pick up the phone to a hiring manager or an HRD with an idea or a plan for you know, how you solve your client's problem as a staffing firm, um, I think you might get a conversation that, that leads to something a month or two months or three months down the, down the track. That, so that whole piece about getting the humans focused on doing higher value advisory closer to the client, closer to the the people who hold the P&L in the client, that seems to me to be a really big part of where the industry needs to go and is going in terms of its long-term sustainability. It's a slightly different skill set for many consultants, and we're definitely seeing more firms looking at moving from a kind of 360 model 
to a 180 model and and separating out the kind of business development and uh, and the uh, and the business fulfillment side a little bit more because of those different skills but you're already seeing a push towards a more mature client relationship and on the flip side of that actually i do think supply chain accountability is rising up the agenda on the client side as well and for that you need to be able to demonstrate professionalism and and a kind of strategic partnership so on all of those things i think we what we might come out of this with is a is a different staffing sector that is probably more aligned to the line in client businesses than it is to uh, necessarily just working with talent acquisition teams yeah, hallelujah. Partly why we ran reform. I, I ran a panel session uh, during our online conference and uh, asked uh, uh, our key members the, the ways in which they think we can actually reform. And absolutely, you know, I mean, if we could get a general commitment to never doing contingent again, and that might be a little ambitious, uh, granted. I think, uh, you know, moving more to what I'd call a talent management consulting uh, offering rather than that uh, highly transactional, I think we're yearning for it. I, I, I do feel, though, Neil, that the, it, it's a significant different skill set. Um, and I think that means that the RSC and the RCSA do need to assist uh, our members and others to make that transition. Look, there's always going to be the place for higher volume transactional stuff, granted. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I think we have an obligation. And part of the, the reason I'd love to work more closely with the RAC is how do we establish a pathway to transition from uh, you know, your, your traditional, uh, uh, you call it a 201 recruitment consultant, into somebody who is almost like an MBA uh, workforce or talent management consultant. And I, and I feel this window will close pretty quickly if we don't grab it. So um, uh, we're, we're even seeing that even the way in which we work with government here. The government has come to us in Queensland, a, a Labor government, uh, not very sympathetic to our industry came to us and said, we want you uh, to uh, work with and assist uh, the unemployed Queenslanders for fine jobs. Um, uh, we're doing that. We're also working almost like an MSP on behalf of the Department of Health, uh, your NHS uh, here in Australia, um, to uh, source uh, through our health uh, agencies, uh, all of the surge workforces that are, going to, uh, are working in the aged care facilities. And it's, it is driving huge opportunities for us to have very different conversations because it's it's removing the ideology, it's removing the, uh, I guess, what we call that inherent bias that has actually uh, sat uh, within the bureaucracy for so many years as well. So, look, I'm an optimist. You, I think you've got to be if you're going to lead the recruitment and uh, you know, staffing temp industry. But I think there are huge opportunities for us to grab this. Um, but we've got to almost codify them now because once we come out, and let's hope there are no second waves in the UK, um, I, I'm a little bit worried that there might be a snap back to let's just do it the way we've done it previously. But the longer this goes on, I think the less we are going to snap back behaviourally uh, and just turn on those old receptors. Um, mm. uh, I, I presume you would probably agree. Yeah, look, we're we're doing lots of very similar things in the recent summer statement um, that the Chancellor of the Exchequer, our finance minister, gave. Um, there was uh, forty million quid uh, set aside there for to support the industry to to do exactly what you're doing with the Queensland government across uh, across the, for us to do that across the UK. And we're working with our Department for Working Pensions now on how we structure that, and I think that's a really good 
opportunity to do two things and it demonstrates the community of interest which is on the one hand we are helping make make great work happen as we say at the uh, rec by supporting job seekers who need help on some things that maybe they haven't done for 10 or 15 years but on the other hand it's also an investment by government in the capacity of our industry which is an acknowledgement of course that that we're a critical part of uh, returning to high employment rates even if uh, what people are doing will be different I think one of the challenges um, in all of this for us as a as a society is the answer to recovery is not everyone going back to the jobs they had in February. It's everyone going back to work, doing things which are sustainable for the long haul. And that kind of managing transit, big transition, big economic transition, because so much of what's happening now is just an amplification and an acceleration of what we knew would happen over time anyway. Our industry is at the heart of that. You know, I agree with you. You've got to be optimistic to be a leader in staffing and recruitment. And I think there is actually, there are some real reasons to be hopeful. Now, I can't lie, as with all businesses in the UK, uh, staffing firms are taking a bit of hammering in April and May. But the narrative I'm getting from our members now is much more upbeat. Much more, yeah, especially I think lots of, Lots of our our members brought staff back from the furlough scheme on the 1st of July, and you could almost feel it in the discussions REC staff were having with members that people were a bit more future focused. I think that's got to that's got to be right, and you know the the skill set piece matters. So does the how do you mature the client relationship point? You know how do you jump from having one person who talks to one person in a client to having a team around the client that talk, talks to the ladder from the talent acquisition person right up to the chief exec if you can if you can achieve it. And those sorts of things and the kind of language we'll need to develop. You know, we're running our digital conference on the 8th of September. Uh, I nicked one of your speakers, by the way, so thanks very much for that. I'll send a fee later, mate. I'll send the money over by the slowest of what I can find. <laughs> uh, the, uh, that piece about how how we redesign what we do and and how we as federations help members, I think, is really important. I've started thinking about what the REC does. Is you know what we ought to do is deliver the first ten hours of prep for a member on big board decisions. So you want to think about how your client relations are. Uh, uh, are developing well here's the REC starter for 10 you want to think about how to buy good uh, recruitment technology that frees your consultants up to do the added value stuff here's your starter for 10 you're thinking about a transaction we're certainly seeing a, a wall of money looking at uh, recruitment firms in the UK now because obviously the, this is the kind of time when private equity enters the market so that you can kind of so you're thinking about a transaction. Here's your starter from term for the REC, and these are these are slightly different questions to you know the very valid and continuing stuff we do around professional qualification and compliance, uh, which will only get more important as people get worried about their supply chain. But it's a it's a different challenge for uh, for us as uh, as membership organisations, but a really um, exciting one. I think, and and you know, thinking about how we reform some of those services to make sure they stay relevant, uh, it, you know, is something that you know gets me up in the morning. I'm going to flip another question to you. I know it's your podcast, mate, but I'm going to flip one at you, and that is, um, how do you think uh, the working from home element uh, will change? Uh, I, I guess the the way in which uh, 
those within the UK businesses uh, look to engage their staff? Um, do, do you think there will be a greater opportunity for the engagement of uh, temp and contract workers? Uh, and uh, do you think more and more individuals uh, will be looking uh, for diverse work and opportunities to work through an intermediary? Uh, I, I feel there may be. I think you're right. I think um, we have my first line on all this is beware the hot take. So a lot of hot takes about the death of the office, the death of the workplace. And I think it'd be far more accurate to talk about, you know, the mixed model that we'll end up with coming out of this. So, you know, the inverted commas around working from home have disappeared for even the most hardlined of managers. You know, we're seeing client companies uh, bringing people on online that's going to be transformational in the labor market because when you can do a job in london as well uh, or, or you can do it in holyhead or you can do it in dumfries um that that changes the dynamic of the the labor market quite quite significantly i think in in the long term uh we'll probably end up in a world where we run some kind of mixed model where you know most staff are in a workplace three days a week and working from home two days a week if they're full time. Of course, that that further embeds the idea that you maybe you don't have one, you don't necessarily have one job, but you split your time, you do different things. It further embeds the idea that um, uh, that freelancing or working through staffing firms is yeah is a normal and positive uh, thing to do. I think what what really matters is making sure that what sits underneath that is a system that supports people to do that so i think we need to keep investing in uh making sure that working through agencies is a positive experience and i think our our rec members are doing some fantastic work on that in terms of contractor support both technology via, via some of these uh some of these uh, assistance apps, but also in person. And, and I think we we also need to be working with government to make sure that the, the tax and benefit system supports that. I think a real breakthrough in the furlough scheme was the government's acknowledgement that it, it wasn't just for um, just for open ended employed staff. And, you know, there was, that was a bit of a, pro, uh, a bit of a uh, procedural headache for our members in terms of how you furlough a load of temps, but actually for the long haul, the industry is going to come out of that on the upside because when the chips were down, agencies did the right thing. Yeah, I think count yourself lucky there. Um, one of the uh, issues we're dealing with here at the moment, Neil, is that uh, our job uh, keeper scheme, which you know, might be akin to your furlough scheme in some ways. Uh, uh, was limited to permanent employees uh, and casual employees, uh, or, you know, what you might define as sort of a hourly paid employees uh, who had more than 12 months of regular and systematic service. Mm. So anybody who is employed as a casual under 12 months has effectively had to go on to the what's called job seeker scheme, which is a, a little uh, like uh, you know, some type of social uh, welfare assistance, um, mind you, you know, they'll pay a lot more. The problem we've now got is that the union movement is uh, looking to leverage that to uh, say that, well, there you go, um, these people will always come off second best. Um, they are a different class of worker uh, and everybody should be employed in permanent employment, which, which uh, uh, has bolstered their arguments around uh, insecure work and uh, I guess the downside of 
insecure work. So look, from our perspective, and I don't know if you've seen any of that uh, argument or indeed what the role of the unions have been in the UK during all of this, but on one hand, they've attempted to try and introduce flexibility to save jobs, but on the other, it's really driving a wedge between permanent employment and uh, casual employment. So that's very concerning to us. Even today, um, the uh, Premier of Victoria, um, Daniel Andrews, has come out saying, oh, well, the reason that we can't control the spread of COVID-19 is because all of these uh, insecure workers who have no leave, paid leave entitlements uh, feel compelled to go to work because otherwise they don't get paid. They are the ones spreading the virus. There's actually no evidence to support this, but they're using it to try and drive a wedge. So we've, we've got a real problem here in Australia of uh, you know, creating two classes of employment, uh, which means that we're going to have to get out there and be very clear about the virtues of agency work, uh, which is a little concerning for us. Yeah, look, we've had examples of that. I think there's certainly some uh, misguided comment about agency workers in the care sector early on in the epidemic, where, you know, the, fairly obviously the problem the UK had in care homes was that care, ho- care homes did not have the guidance nor the PPE support to uh, to handle what the what they were facing, um, and even when they did get the PPE support, there was a real sense that uh, agency workers were not getting the treatment from the client. I cited some examples that that we would want them to. In fact, we've got some fairly clear examples of agencies pulling workers out of sites because they weren't getting access to the protection equipment that they needed. Uh, so it felt a bit rich for anyone to suggest that it was the agency model rather than the PPE supply and the guidance to care homes. More generally, though, I think while people, some people have fallen through the gaps of the government support scheme, and there's a quite a substantial campaign here in the UK uh, on behalf of those people, and by and large, the government delivered a furlough scheme which covers em- anyone who's employed for tax purposes, which uh, mostly include, which includes a lot of agency workers and a scheme for self-employed people, um, so that there was a reasonably widespread coverage. And I think as part of that, the unions, yeah, certainly at the peak level, at the TUC level, played quite a positive role uh, in terms of getting that spread right. And we've we've had relatively few broad attacks on the sector. Uh, which is good. It speaks to the fact that people see the value members are, are delivering. I did, uh, the, some of the affiliate unions in specific sectors are perhaps more challenging. We've had some uh, some interaction with the teaching unions who uh, wanted additional co- uh, additional support from uh, teaching agencies for supply teachers, uh, which. Uh, is a great ask, but you know, supply teaching agencies saw their market go away overnight when schools closed. That there is not a, a massive pile of cash hidden somewhere to be able to be uh, distributing it out. So there's been there've been one or two sort of slightly uh, bold and ballsy pushes from affiliate unions, but by and large, so far, the the union movement's been on side with a national response. Certainly they were critical along with the employers' organisations in getting the furlough scheme put together. So I think I, I, my, my observation would be that our industrial relations are a bit less ribbon uh, and a bit less uh, uh, large P political 
than than I observe in Australia, and I think that's been a strength for us. Yeah, I think uh, after uh, your delightful Maggie Thatcher uh, ran them all out of the UK, they all arrived in Australia, and um, uh, we must uh, send. Uh, well, I, I don't expect to get a, a fee from you for that uh, that great recruitment uh, drive. Um, and um, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I think all in all, it's a real upside um, for our industry, and there are going to be huge opportunities. Uh, it is uh, what we would describe here as a very big spill and fill opportunity. So a lot of jobs have been spilled, and uh, they will need to be filled in some way or another. And uh, I think uh, what we have to do is try and support the industry, of course, to uh, yes, to adapt, but also to ride it out and, and wait for uh, that uh, that uh, positive wave to come through, which uh, they can ride into for sure as well. So um, uh, I think equally um, with the advent of technology, you know, even just today in our board meeting, we're talking about the development uh, of a, a stronger and clearer uh, technology leadership uh, strategy and platform within RCSA to uh, really promote. Uh, clearly, we're going to see huge numbers of technology solutions, I believe, grow on the back of this um, if they weren't already growing. Um, and uh, one of the predicaments we have is to try and understand how do we uh, apply the same expectations around ethical and professional conduct in relation to clients and candidates as we expect from our, what we might call our traditional recruitment members. I don't know if that's something that's being examined uh, in the UK, but I, I see a, a wave of technology. There's a lot of waves to in this podcast, of course, but um, a new wave of technology. And, th and that's going to be uh, really challenging for us as well, uh, because many of them as much as they actually uh, have the same influence on candidates and clients and business, they don't actually see themselves as part of the recruitment and staffing market. So that's going to be another challenge for us here in Australia and New Zealand as well. Yeah, look, I, I absolutely get that. In fact, I had a, a good discussion with the Centre for uh, Data Ethics here in the UK earlier in the week, you know, looking at the use of algorithms in recruitment and uh, and it, their effect on fair decision making. Uh, and as we all know, uh, some of this, te this technology is only as good as the biases of the people who built it. So there's a whole slew of things happening and you, we have the same issues with platform-based businesses who claim that they're not agencies um, but patently are agencies and in fact our Employment Agencies Act is very broadly drafted on what an agency is. That level playing field piece I think is super important and just making the case both for how we as organisations, I think the REC is in the same place as you are in terms of, you know, how can we develop more technology leadership for, for the sector? How we as organisations uh, stand up for doing things well. Uh, and that's both you know, doing things, doing right by the candidate and the client, but also doing things in ways that are efficient and, and help with the fill of that spill and fill you were talk, talking about. I think there is no fast in labour market recovery in the UK without a big bounce back uh, from the recruitment and staffing industry, which I think we are starting to see happen, but there's lots we can do to accelerate it. And I, I do worry that just because things are whizzy on, on an app doesn't necessarily mean that the processes that stand behind them are either kind of particularly technologically advanced or ethically sound. So there's a there's a big bit of work to do with government on getting that right. And actually, what we would be trying to do is steer the government's concern about good work and insecurity and protection, which I think comes from they, it comes from a positive place, even if they articulate it sometimes in slightly odd ways. 
and and pushing that towards that bit of the market and rather than a more general push back against uh, staffing firms, which I'm hoping here in the UK we've moved beyond, but I know you're struggling within some of your uh, with some of your state governments in particular. Yeah, that's right. I'm also interested, Neil. Um, of course, we live on an island here. Um, you, you live on a, a bit of a, it's an island, but a different island. Uh, um, here, of course, the uh, the stopping of flights in and out of the country, and, and it's quite likely that will be for at least a year or two. Um, it's going to have a big and significant impact upon the pool of talent that is going to be available. Um, have you similarly had in the UK, uh, or, or certainly uh, uh, Britain, the I guess the the supply uh, of external labour, and uh, how does that play out with Brexit at the moment, uh, and and your members eventually? So I'd I'd say Brexit is a bigger challenge to that than COVID at the moment. Um, certainly, you know, we saw a big fall for a few months in, in transit. By and large, uh, people can move around Europe. I mean, people are flying less, but of course, you know, most of Western Europe, Europe's within easy overland range of the UK as well. You know, our benefit is uh, the ne- the next G20 nation is a is a is half an hour in a, on a Channel Tunnel train away, uh, not a, not a couple of hours flight, um, and so so I think that the COVID aspect of that, while things have slowed, and that's certainly a break. Uh, it's um, um, the the real impacts have been around things like getting visas from people coming from outside Europe, uh, things like language test centres being closed, qualifications recognition centres being closed. They're starting to open up now. Now, my I think our bigger challenge is whether the government can secure a decent trade deal with the EU uh, for later in the year, and whether they can deliver a workable immigration system on the first of January. And those are not policy points there are practical points which is we need to be able to keep this thing running so yeah in the last few weeks i'd say we've certainly seen recruitment business leaders switching back to non-covid major concerns about our economy and that's probably a good sign for covid but a reminder that there are a lot of other blips on our radar screen here in the uk whereas i think you know in terms of the Australian economy, I'd, I'd, I'd imagine things are a little clearer. Perhaps the China thing is is a particular yeah. concern given yeah. given the structure of the Aussie economy. Yeah, I think so. And um, look, uh, it is concerning the breakdown in the diplomatic and uh, communication lines between uh, China and Australia is, is always concerning. And um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I, I, I think though here um, the almost isolation of Australia and the closure of flights in and out. Um, look, you know, there might be some contemplation of opening up a, a bubble with New Zealand, but uh, what's happening here in Melbourne is uh, put uh, that on hold for some time. But what we're going to see is more and more talent, um, especially uh, you know, it, it, for those looking to get back into the workforce, they're actually going to have to be prepared to transition across into different occupations, you know, going back to your point earlier. So... In so many ways, I think we're going to see a fundamental change to the way in which candidates look at the labour market and business look at talent. Uh, and, uh, of course, we as an industry need to start looking very much at uh, being uh, developers of talent uh, more so than simply traders of talent. 
And it, look, that, that presents good commercial opportunities as well, but um, it also goes back to the point that we were raising earlier that I think the uh, the consultants that we're looking at um, certainly need to start thinking about being uh, workforce management consultants and, uh, of course, uh, talent developers uh, rather than just recruiters. So I, I do think we're up for a, a significant change in the Australian and New Zealand recruitment and staffing market over the course of uh, the next uh, two, three years, no question. Yeah, look, I get, I get that. And uh, from our perspective, we've seen some of our members in the UK start moving into things like skills provision in the last few weeks. And I think that's that's sensible and it goes in the same direction. You know, RCSA members who are looking at the UK as an investment possibility and you know, lots of firms look at work in both uh, countries. I think, you know, if people want to take a look at the REC website and some of the data that's on there, I think there's a you look across a jobs outlook and report on jobs there's a clear sense of where the British economy is changing shape and where some of those opportunities are and from a from a British perspective if people wanted to find out more about the Aussie market and about RCSA where would they go Charles? Uh, yeah rcsa.com.au uh, of course if you're looking at New Zealand uh, rcsa.org.nz uh, uh, but um, yeah look uh, the other thing I would say, uh, Neil, and I, hopefully you're seeing it as well, is uh, th this has really accentuated the amount of uh, sharing uh, of information uh, amongst our community uh, of recruiters. As I say, in the years gone by, many of them thought that they had the secret herbs and spices or the database that nobody else had, and uh, this has just brought everybody closer together, and uh, there's been a lot of collegiality. I, I don't know if you've experienced that in the um, the REC community, but uh, I think, uh, again, another great example of uh, how we will benefit um, from uh, this significant shock as well. Look, I think that's absolutely right. And uh, yeah, certainly, yeah, the, you know, as an ex-recruiter myself, I, I know that the kind of everyone's always had the best quarter ever discussion. Um, but actually, <laughs> some, some, something like this gives all pause, throws it all together, um, that we've had some really positive discussions. And I think members have reflected on the fact that actually what's important in an organization like the RCSA or the REC is not just what the organization does for you, but what you learn from each other by by that collective effort. And certainly I get more from hearing sort of owner operators and chief execs of our members talking to each other about uh, about the market about in, in planning what the REC should do than in kind of individual one-to-ones because uh, we've got to be in order to represent the industry well, we've got to understand it and be on the cusp of a group of people who are uh, who have a, a shared endeavour. And I think there's no greater shared endeavour than helping, you know, our our countries bounce back from what's been quite a significant labour market shock. Yeah, no question. I, I, look, I'm, as much as I'm devastated by what COVID-19 has done uh, across the globe and uh, even here in Australia to a lesser extent, I'm, I'm very excited about the opportunities. And I, I, I really do feel that um, if we put on our innovation and adaptation hats, um, we can come out of this stronger and more relevant than we've ever been before. So um, uh, you've got to be an optimist to be in recruitment uh, and staffing, as you would know, Neil. And uh, look, I think on that front, it'd be great uh, for REC and RCSA to do a lot more sharing, not just uh, you pinching our great talent, mate, but um, we can uh, also uh, uh, work with you and share content and information because I think we're, we're all realising that we're all in this together, aren't we? 
Yeah, absolutely. Very keen to do that and, um, and you know, build on the really strong and positive relationship we've always had with you guys, even in Ashes years. And I think that that sense of us as a global industry coming together, uh, both kind of uh, bilaterally between us and you and through bodies like the World Employment Confederation, that means the RCSA and the REC are uniquely positioned to give members a global view of uh, uh, of what's going on. That's all really positive for the future of our industry. Thank you for listening. We hope you found this episode helpful. Head to our COVID-19 hub on www.rec.uk.com forward slash COVID-19 for the latest guidance on managing your business during these unprecedented times.